children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thank you, Jody. Well, good morning, church. If you don't know me, my name is Adam, and it's uh, really great to have you with us this morning. Let me say happy Father's Day to all the dads who are with us. Hope you've had a, a nice morning. Hope you've got lots of cards and socks and mugs and T-shirts and all of those uh, special gifts that dads get on Father's Day. It's... Uh, a wonderful privilege to be able to honour dads and to celebrate fatherhood uh, this morning. And I have a book on my shelf, I have lots of books on my shelf, but one in particular that's called What a Man Wishes Every His Father I'll get it right. What every man wishes his father had told him. What every man wishes his father had told him, and it's written by a pastor by the name of Byron Yawn, Y-A-W-N, which as he points out is the worst possible last name for a preacher. (laughs) But on the very first page of this book, he writes this, he says, what kind of relationship did you have with your father? Few questions have the force to stop grown men in their tracks, as does this one. The feelings run deep here. I mean, really deep. It evokes either warm, reminiscent smiles or deeply resentful gazes. It opens a window into the soul. Fathers are important. I mean, really important. And he is absolutely correct. Fathers are one of the most influential people in our lives, for good or for ill. And the reason that fathers are so important and so influential is because fathers are intended to reflect God himself. The Bible tells us that God is our heavenly Father. Jesus taught us to pray, taught us to address God as our Father in heaven. The Bible tells us that as our Heavenly Father, God cares for us and protects us, provides for us. He hears and answers our prayers. He disciplines us. When we come to Him, He receives us and forgives us and rejoices over us. God is our Heavenly Father. This is why... J.I. Packer, who is a world-renowned theologian, he says this. He says, To those who are Christ's, to those who belong to Christ, the Holy God is a loving Father. They belong to His family. They may approach Him without fear and always be sure of His fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. And what this means is that our fatherhood is meant to reflect and flow from the fatherhood of God. 
And this explains to us why fathers are so important and so influential. Because in the way that they love and in the way that they live, they are meant to reflect to their children what God the Father is like. Fatherhood is a sacred privilege and a high calling from God. And yet, it is because fatherhood is so significant and so important and so influential that it also has the potential to cause significant pain and hurt in our lives. In fact, the truth is, we all approach Father's Day with a little bit of baggage. We all come to Father's Day from different backgrounds, from different homes, from different circumstances and different situations. Some of us had a a great father and we thank God for him. Others of us had perhaps an absent father and, and we grieve that loss. Some of us perhaps had an abusive father which has caused us significant pain and confusion. Others of us, perhaps many of us, have lost our father and we're reminded of that on on a day like today. Some of us have unfulfilled longings for fatherhood. Others of us have regrets over our failures as a father. However we've walked in here today, we all come with baggage. And this is why we need to begin with the biblical profound reality that God is our perfect heavenly Father. That through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, every single one of us in this room can have God as our perfect heavenly Father. In Him, we can receive the love and the protection and the guidance that we long for. See, Father's Day can be a day of good news for every single one of us because it can be the day that we receive God as our Father or it can be the day that we are reminded that God is our Heavenly Father. But it's also an important and significant day for those whom God has called to this significant calling of fatherhood. It's an important day for those who are in the trenches of fatherhood right now. And if that's you, then I want to offer you perhaps a little bit of help and encouragement today. And I don't come before you with any particular expertise in this area. I am a total and complete rookie. I mean, I'm very aware that I should be learning from many of you. And so I don't come before you today with my own wisdom, but rather with the Word of God. See, the Word of God is our ultimate authority, it's our rule of life, and from it, we can gain a number of insights into the value and the importance of fatherhood. And so today, I'd like us just to spend a few moments digging into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Verses 1 to 4 were read for us so beautifully by Jody a moment ago. And verses 1 to 3, they specifically address children. And verse 4 specifically addresses fathers. So I'd like like us to have a look at this verse for just a moment. And we can gain two insights from this verse regarding fatherhood. The first insight is this. Fathers, you have a responsibility from God for your children. Now this verse tells us the responsibility that God has given to dads. And it's summarised in that small little phrase there in the middle of the verse, bring them up. 
Paul writes, he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now that phrase, bring them up, it literally means to nourish or to feed. It's referring to the support and the love and the protection and the raising of children. But what does that actually mean? I mean, what does that really look like on the ground? Well, it's actually defined by the two phrases that are either side of this little phrase in the middle. In fact, these two phrases, either side of it, reveal the two errors that dads often make in raising their children, in bringing their children up. The first error is this. It's some dads are too strict, too harsh, too overbearing. That's why Paul writes there, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now, by the way, it's a little bit significant that when Paul turns to address parenting in this book of Ephesians, who does he address? Fathers. Don't let anyone tell you that parenting is just the mother's job. Look at what Paul writes here. He says, fathers. And what he writes, he's correcting a common mistake that dads often make. That is, fatherhood that is so strict that children are crushed by the demands. Fatherhood that is so overbearing that children become exasperated because they can never do enough. Fatherhood that is cruel, whether through overindulgence of a child or through neglect of a child, causing either narcissism or anger. These are attitudes that provoke anger and resentment in children. For example... In Edna Ferber's novel, Edna's a Pulitzer Prize winning author and she's written a novel called Giant, she tells the story of this Texan by the name of Jordan Benedict. Now Jordan is the owner of a two and a half million acre cattle ranch and he is furious because his three year old son Geordie doesn't take to horses. When Geordie is put on a horse in his full cowboy outfit, he cries until he's taken off the horse. And his father is disgusted. He says, I rode before I could walk. To which his wife, Leslie, responds and says, well, all right, that was very cute, but that was you. This is another person. Maybe he doesn't like horses. He's a Benedict, his father retorts. And I'm going to make a horseman out of him if I have to tie him to it. Leslie says to him, you've been playing God so long, you think you run the world. He says, I run the part of it that's mine. And Leslie says, he's not yours. He's yours and mine, and not even ours. He's himself. And to which I would add, he's God's. He belongs to God. And dads, God has given you the responsibility not to make your children become like you or do everything that you think they should do, but rather so that they might come to know God, come to love God and become the person that God has made them to be. And the way we do this is we create an atmosphere of of grace and and joy and, and happiness and an openness to God in our homes. We create an atmosphere where our kids can flourish. Here's an example of what this might look like. 
Benjamin West was a, a distinguished painter, an artist in the 1700s. He was actually a, a painter for the royal family. And he tells about the day when his love for painting first began. He says his mother went out one day leaving him in charge of his little sister. And he discovered some ink and he decided that he wanted to paint his sister's portrait. And when his mother came back, there was an awful mess. There was ink everywhere. But he said that his mother walked in, she said nothing about the ink stains all over the place, and instead she picked up the portrait and she said, why, it's Sally. And she stooped down and kissed Benjamin. And Benjamin West said, my mother's kiss made me a painter. See, God is saying to parents, and I think especially to dads today, to me today, don't be too strict and exasperate your children. That's the first error we often make. Dads who are too strict, too harsh, too overbearing. But then, Paul confronts the other way that dads attempted to lean, to go. Dads who are too aloof, too lenient, too uninvolved. That's what Paul says in the second half of the verse when he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now that word training there, it actually refers to discipline. See, some parents make the error of not exercising appropriate discipline. Now Paul's already said, don't be too harsh But now he's saying, don't go to the other extreme and let your children do whatever they want. They're children. They don't know what they want. In fact, John Stott commenting on this verse, he says, the opposite of wrong discipline is not the absence of discipline, but right discipline, true discipline. Paul also mentions there the instruction of the Lord. Now what does that mean? Well, a lot of us, want our kids to know about God and and to love God and that's why we bring them to church and send them to kids' church. But Paul is saying here that primary responsibility for your kids coming to know about God, it belongs and it begins in the home. John Stott again commenting on this verse. He says, Christian parents, listen carefully, should jealously guard their responsibility, delegating some of it indeed to both church and school, but never entirely surrendering it. It is their own God-given task. Nobody can adequately or completely replace them. Parents, God has given you your children so that you might raise them, bring them up, so that they might come to know who God is. And this will include many things. It will include making God a priority in your schedule, It will include making the truth about God a topic of your conversations in everyday life. It will include making prayer a natural habit of your day-to-day lives. It will include reading the Bible and worshipping together as a family. It will include many different things. But the reality is, is that we should care more about our children's relationship with God than anything else. More than their academic results, more than their sporting achievements, more than their musical ability. It must be a priority for us. We must get 
decisive about this. In fact, in a sermon titled, What is a Christian Family? Ray Ortland, who is a pastor I listen to and read, he writes this. He says, here's the difference between a Christian family and a family made up of Christians. In a family made up of Christians, the dad is a Christian, the mum is a Christian, and the kids are Christians. But as a family, they're hard to read. They're nice people, but in their home there is no prayer except saying grace at meals, no praise to Christ, no enjoyment of Christ, no conversation about Christ, no mission for Christ. They have not made the cause of Jesus their own cause. Their vibe is whatever. So they're dominated by their smartphones, sports practices and an endless flow of preoccupations. By contrast, a Christian family led by the head of the house takes this stand. We will serve the Lord. We have served other gods, but no more of that. Now we want Jesus. No matter what others may choose, we will serve the Lord. That is a Christian family. They aren't perfect but they know what they want and they go get it. And dads, today, some of us need to get decisive because we have a responsibility from God for our children. That's the first insight we can learn. The second is this. Dads, you cannot pass on what you do not possess. See, God has given dads the responsibility to raise, to bring up their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. But here's what really, really matters. Here's what makes all the difference. If you are not personally walking with the Lord, if you yourself are not growing in his instruction, then it makes it very difficult to raise your child in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, you cannot pass on what you do not possess. Tim Challies is a a blogger and an author. He puts it this way. He says, Shortly after my son was born, a friend gave me this little bit of wisdom. Kids are amazing bull-something detectors. Fill in the gap. A bit crude, but the point was well taken. Through 11 years and three children, I've seen that this is exactly the case. Children are amazing at unmasking hypocrisy. They are not easily fooled. You may fool them for a moment, but not for a lifetime. And this is so true. Our kids have the ability to see through whether we're just kind of taking them to church because that's just what we do, or whether because Jesus is real in our lives. In fact, listen to this story from the life of Ray Ortland, who I quoted just a moment ago. He says, 50 years ago, my dad and my mum gave me a new Bible. It was my senior year in high school and it was my birthday. And Dad gave me a Bible with this following inscription. Bud, nothing could be greater than to have a son. A son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book our dearest treasure. We give it to you and doing so can give you nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad. Ray writes and he says, as I read those one, these wonderful words 50 years ago, it never occurred to me to think, Dad doesn't really believe that. It's just religious talk. I knew he meant it because I watched him live it. 
He was a student of the Bible and his life was full of blessing and I wanted what he had. It took me a few years to get clarity in some ways, not surprisingly, but on that day, all those years ago, my dad said something to me that left a deep impression. It moved me then and it moves me now. We cannot pass on what we do not possess. And so let me just ask you this morning, dads, is it real for you? Is your heart warm towards God? Do you marvel that Jesus Christ has died for your sins? Do you bask in that grace each and every day and and so extend it to your children? Is Jesus Christ a priority in your life and in your home? Your kids will be able to tell whether it's real or not. And the truth is, to pass on love and knowledge about Jesus to your kids is the greatest legacy that you could ever leave them. It's worth laying down your life for. It's worth being tired for. It's worth giving up hobbies for. It's worth turning off the TV for. It's worth more than anything. It's the greatest legacy that you could ever leave your children. And in fact, let me close with this letter. This letter was written by a dad several years before his death to his family. And he left it in his drawer in his desk because he knew that his family would find it there after his passing. And this is what he writes to his family following his death. He says, Dear family, the time has come for my departure. 2 Timothy 4.6 It's strange to write this when I'm feeling well and vigorous. But unless Christ returns first, that departure time will come. When you read this, it will have happened. I have had a great journey with Jesus Christ. From childhood, I have known about God and revered him. The name of Jesus has always been precious to me. I thank my dear parents for this heritage. Now, life on earth is over and I go to meet the Lord face to face. I trust in him as my sure saviour and rest in his grace at this momentous time of my death. I do not fear death. Actually, I have been anticipating this new adventure and at the time you read this, I will be with Christ in heaven. I am sorry for my sin and failures, which have been many, but I know Christ has forgiven them. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 1. Some of those sins have been against you, my dear family, and I am sorry. You probably know my sins better than I. Some you don't know, I know all too well. But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Romans 5.20 My dear Anne has been my most treasured friend. If she is still living as you read this, I know you will treat her well. When she goes to heaven, God will give her blue ribbons and gold medals. What a great woman and wife. She has loved and stood loyally by me all our life together. And our last years have been our best. May God reward her for her hard work, a forgiving spirit, relentless faith and enthusiastic acceptance of life as it came. She is a woman of God. We shall meet on the other side and sing a duet of praise to God. As you know, Psalm 34 verse 3 has been our verse. We trust you've seen that we did magnify the Lord. Each of you children and spouses have been the joy of my life 
as have been the grandchildren. I've never doubted your love for me and you have been too kind. I will see you in heaven and will bless God together. I urge you to remain true to your Saviour. I have no doubt that you will. Love each other deeply in your marriages. Keep your family ties strong. Lay up treasures in heaven because the stuff of earth is empty. Bank accounts, houses and furniture mean nothing to me now. Actually, they never did. Beware of sin and confess it as soon as you discover it in your life. And let the Spirit's gift of joy colour all of your life. As you mature, remain a happy person in Christ. Get even sweeter as you get older. Sour old people are a pain. In my death, be sure God is glorified. Jesus glorified the Father most in his death. So at my memorial service, glorify God. Have a holy party. I was saying to Anne recently that this world has become less attractive lately and I feel a bit out of place. So it's good to go home now. I'd like my burial made simple. Bury my remains in a simple container to wait for the resurrection of my new glorified body. Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love you all, each and every one. I'll see you sooner than you think. Dad. Now that is a legacy worth leaving. And dads, if you are here today, you have breath in your lungs, which means God is not finished with you. Let's get decisive for the glory of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you are our Father. We are safe and loved and accepted and secure in the acceptance of your fatherly embrace. And Lord, I just want to lift up especially the dads who are among us this morning. Lord, we know, we're well aware of where we fall short. And we ask, you might help us as we go from here to get decisive to raise our children to know and love you it's the greatest legacy we could ever leave them and we pray this in Jesus name Amen Church would you stand as we hear these words from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 16 to 17 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen.